My name is Anthony Chaya. Some people may wonder where I'm from. I'm actually from a pit full of miry clay. Maybe you've been there. Yeah. Today, we're going to climb higher out of that pit by God's grace. I'm going to start with a word of prayer, and then we'll open up the word. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for hearing our prayer. We thank you for waking us up this morning and giving us a spirit to be here and to want to hear your voice. I pray that you will help us to hear that voice today, that you will keep out the, the other burdens that we have and help us to see a greater image of your lovely son Jesus today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 2. 2 Kings chapter 18 and verse 2. When I hear the pages stop, I'll know you're there. The Bible tells us a story of a young man named Hezekiah. And in verse 2, it says, 25 years old was he when he began to reign. He was a king. In verse 3, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves and break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and he called it Nahushtan. Nahushtan. That is a description of a very good king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And we see here him breaking a serpent that Moses had made. Wouldn't you think that that should be off limits? It seems it was one of a kind. This was many years after Moses had died. Do you remember the story of Moses and the serpent? He, he made this serpent and he raised it up. People looking to this serpent, their lives were saved. Irreplaceable, one of a kind. If it were still here today, I can't even imagine the monetary value that this serpent would have. Can you imagine? But he broke it and called it Nehushtan. Now, do you know what Nehushtan means? In the margin of the Bible, it's, by the way, this is the only place in the Bible that this word is used. The word Nehushtan means a piece of brass. A piece of brass. So other people were saying, this is a holy relic. He was saying, it's a piece of brass. A piece of brass. That's amazing. Let's read verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, God of Israel, so that after him, 
was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. He kept the commandments that the Lord gave Moses, but did away with the piece of brass. Do you see the difference? And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. Hezekiah is an amazing figure here. I want to focus back on Nehushtan, a piece of brass. What are the things in your life that we are estimating as being more important and more valuable than they really should be? And can we be honest? Honest, like just brutally honest, the way that Hezekiah did here, and just point them out and call them for what they are. The enemy is trying to dangle things in front of us. They may be beautiful, they may be one of a kind, but if we can see them for what they really are and just call it by name, piece of brass, we can move on and we can walk in the ways of the Lord. So today the message is going to be one where it may call for us to be honest and to even leave some things that we've treasured behind. Let's continue. I'm going to jump forward. I, I love this story. I, I ask that you go back and read Hezekiah's life. But Hezekiah had a lot of pressure and a lot of temptation. The king of Assyria was sending servants to pressure him to point out that there was no way he was going to gain victory against that king. And so let's go to uh, chapter 19 and verse 10. Chapter 19 and verse 10. And there was a messenger who was supposed to give a message to Hezekiah. And it says this in verse 10. Thus shall ye speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Blasphemy, right? Blasphemy. So Hezekiah is being told, God cannot deliver you. God cannot deliver you was the message. And here was the evidence. The messenger tells Hezekiah to behold. That means to look at. Thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? So the messenger says, you're trusting in God. He cannot deliver you. And if you just look around and remember what you've heard, you will have to agree that the king of Assyria has destroyed every enemy that he's come in contact with. So he cannot trust his eyes here. But I want you to go to verse 17. Hezekiah does a wonderful thing. After hearing this message, he goes to prayer. He goes to prayer first. 
And here's what he says as a part of his prayer in verse 17. It says, of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. Do you see that? Hezekiah did not argue the fact that the king of Assyria was gaining victories. And it is important if we're going to gain the victory as Satan brings things to us that we're going to be able to say, you know what, that's true. If Eve would have done that in the Garden of Eden, all the things that Satan through the serpent pressed upon her were true except for one. Did you know that? And if she would have just acknowledged all the true things, there would have been one left standing that she could not acknowledge. But instead, she kind of took the whole thing as a meal and ate it. So for you today, I want us this morning, I want us this morning to acknowledge the things that are true. No matter who brings it to you, no matter who brings it to you, acknowledge the things that are true and then if nothing is standing and it's all true, then eat the meal. But if there's something left that you cannot acknowledge, call it a piece of brass. Call it a piece of brass. Okay? That's the example that I wanted to set. So, let's look at the garden of our heart. Are you willing to do a little heart work with me this morning? By the way, I'm a, I'm a farmer right now. I wasn't raised a farmer. I used to be a basketball coach. Yeah. I used to be a manager in one of the largest 15th company in America, um, in the corporate world, in an office called, or in a department called business intelligence. But right now I'm a farmer. And so I'm gonna share a lot of experiences uh, this, this weekend from the farm. And so I want to do a little bit of groundwork on your heart. Are you willing? Okay. Let's look at the field of your heart and let's look at what's been growing there. Are you ready? So I want you to just imagine your heart and the things that are growing there. Are you willing, as you look at that ground, to break up the fallow ground of your heart? Now, when you go to a field to plant a garden and you get the plow behind an animal or a tractor or maybe you just take a pickaxe or a hoe or a shovel or whatever you take and you start plowing it up, do you get halfway through and say, ooh, that, that plant looks kind of nice. I'll just skip that one and keep going. Or do you prepare the whole ground? Prepare the whole ground. So when the Lord is calling us to break up the fallow ground of our heart, what he's asking us to do is look at the whole heart and make a decision to put everything under. To put everything under. To prepare the way for the seed. Okay? So I want you to do that with me this morning. I want you to just imagine the heart and say, is there anything so treasured is there anything so precious to me that I won't plow it under and make way for the good seed? If not, if you could just call it what it is, it's a weed. It's a piece of brass. 
then we can freely plow the ground. Okay, will you do that with me? I'm actually doing some groundwork for my message and also for the messages that you'll hear uh, later today from other speakers. I want your heart to be prepared, holding on to nothing, holding on to nothing, being prepared for the word of truth. The Lord says in Jeremiah 4.3, break up the fallow ground of your heart and sow not among thorns. If there's something you're hanging on to, it's a thorn. God says, do not plant among that. Plow it under. Plow it under. Let's go to Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, and we'll see one more call to break up the fallow ground of our heart. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12. Here the word of God says in Hosea chapter 10 and verse 12, it says here, sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. It's time. It's 722 in the morning. Right now at 722 in the morning, it's time to estimate the things that are growing in your heart and be willing to call them what they are, thorns or brass, and put them away. Are you willing? Okay, that's my early appeal. My early appeal is to look at the garden, the ground of your heart, and be willing to replace anything with better seed. Better seed. Now, it was Memorial Day 2013. I'm going to give you a personal story from my family. Memorial Day 2013. By the way, Memorial Day, if you don't know, is in May. And at this time, we were in Ohio. And so it's a little late at that time to be doing groundwork. We should have been doing it just a couple weeks earlier. But we were doing groundwork, and we were preparing a place for our seed. Now, I have three children. And back then, in 2013, I had a 7-year-old, a 4-year-old, and my third one wasn't born yet, okay? My four-year-old kind of got tired of the groundwork, and it's okay, so she starts gathering up roots. She thought they were carrots, and so she had this whole bouquet of carrots. Oh, it was so beautiful. It was fun seeing her sit there, and she endured the whole day. We were running behind in our garden, so we really pressed. We probably overworked that day, and it was close to 9 p.m., now we went, of course, at that time in Ohio, it's, it's just then started, the sun is setting and just then getting dark. We went inside and my daughter asks me, can we see if these roots are edible? Now they were from Queen Anne's Lace. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's actually a wild uh, carrot. It's white root. And so I had some business to do on the computer. I pulled up the computer and we watched a, a short video and the video says, Queen Anne's Lace, the roots are edible as long as it's in the first year. After that, the, you know, the bark of the root kind of gets too firm. You could chew it well, but it's just not very good. So these were new roots, though. First year, very tender. My daughter said, can we have one? It was late. We hadn't eaten supper that day. So we said, sure. My wife took the carrot cleaned it off, you know, with the, the peeler, 
and gave it to my daughter who was sitting in a high chair right next to me at the table. I was still on the computer. She ate it, passed it down. I ate some, passed it down to my older daughter, and she ate some. And I said, what do you think, girls? They were like, yeah, it's, it's edible. <laughs> That's about it. So as hungry as they were after a long day of work, even my seven-year-old did not want any more. Yeah, didn't want any more, even though she was hungry. But a few minutes later, my four-year-old, while my wife was preparing their food, said, can I have another one? So my wife, knowing it's too late to be eating, but you know, her heart breaking and wanted to feed them, says, okay, but, but can, I, can I just wash it this time instead of peeling it, trying to save time? And everyone was, okay, sure. So she looks into the bunch and picks the cleanest one, washes that, and hands it to my four-year-old. Now, my four-year-old eats it, and I'm still on the computer, and I was kind of in a zone. You know, men can get in a zone where they don't hear what's going on around them, and especially when you're on a computer. Oh, wow. It put me in a zone that only a computer could put me in. And so there I was doing my work, and my four-year-old is chewing on this this root, and my seven-year-old didn't even want any. And then all of a sudden she says, yuck, this tastes like dirt. And so there I am, and it took a minute to process, and then I'm thinking, well, maybe it wasn't washed well enough. So, uh, and I grabbed it, and I kind of without looking just bit it right back to the computer, chewing away, and then it dawns on me. This is not what we had just eaten before. It did taste like dirt. It didn't taste anything like carrot. Now, in the video we had watched to see if it was edible, I praise God, because I knew nothing of this. But in the video, there was a short segment where the lady said, now, be careful. If you're going to eat Queen Anne's lace, smell it. If it smells like carrot, it's Queen Anne's lace. If not, there's a very, very, very good chance that it's poison hemlock. Because to the untrained eye, they're identical. Okay? And in the video, she said, this much of the leaf will kill a man. So I had known nothing about hemlock before that. And I'm telling you right now that there were some great lessons I learned that day. The first is how we react to sin, okay? We have all eaten the poison of sin, have we not? And what's the result of sin? Death, the wages of sin is death. So here I am, and the first thing I think, the first thing I think is maybe, maybe it's not poison. Maybe this one is not actually the bad one. And that's exactly what we do with sin, brothers and sisters. The first thing we do is say, well, maybe what I just did wasn't really bad, because I have good intentions. I mean, we had good intentions. We were just trying to feed the children. Just trying to feed the children. But I pull up on the computer immediately a very clear, high-resolution image of a hemlock root and I'm telling you, I had the perfect specimen to compare my root against. Okay, did you hear that? I had a perfect specimen to compare what I was doing against. 
do you have a perfect specimen to compare what you do against? Yes, we do. We have the perfect example. We have the, the knowledge, the light of the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We can look. We have the law, which says it in black and white words. Okay? I looked at that closely. I blew it up. I looked at every line on that root, and do you know what? The one we ate was identical to the hemlock root. It does vary from the Queen Anne's lace. The plants look very similar. The flowers look similar. The roots look similar. But the reason we ate the hemlock was because it doesn't have as many offshoots, you know, off the tap root. And so we ate the one. My wife, when she didn't want to peel it, she just chose the cleanest one out of the bunch. She chose the one that was most subtle. And it happened to be the poison one. So then it settles in that we have just eaten hemlock, the root of hemlock. And then do you know what I thought in my mind? Okay, I know it's hemlock, but the video said this much of the leaf will kill a man. Maybe, maybe the root is not poisonous. Maybe the way that I'm eating the poison is still okay. Maybe there's a way that I can still hold on to this and hold on to life. Okay, I do a quick search. I'm right on the computer. And it tells me the most poisonous part of the plant are two parts, the seed and the root. And the poison levels are the highest in late spring, right at the time I was eating it. Okay. So then, what goes through your mind? And I'm just going through the natural heart of a sinner, okay? What goes through your mind next is, well, maybe it's just going to make me a little sick. Yeah, I know it's not right, and it's going to have its effects, but I shall surely not die. Okay, maybe it's just poison, but it's not going to result in death, right? So I pull that up on the computer, and on WebMD it says, you know, poison hemlock is one of the most poisonous natural substances known to man. And it will kill a man in one hour. It says that men have died from eating game birds that have eaten a seed from poison hemlock. About this time, I get pretty humble. And I'm starting to come to the reality of things. Conviction sets in that I actually did eat poison, and I deserve to die. Now, the next thought, the next thought in my mind is it's not fair. I was uneducated. No one told me about this. How did I know? I was thinking, 
it's not fair that, that God would let me live this whole life to come to this? Of course, I rebuked that thought quickly. I never actually accused God. I, the thoughts were being pressed upon my mind, but I never accepted them. Okay, I'm going to take a side here because I just wanted to give you some points of victory. Some of my brothers were, were uh, praying for victory. Okay, and I'm just going to take a side right here. I want you to know that you are not defined by the temptations that are pressed home on you. Amen. No matter what they are. You might have desires to do this or that, but that is not your identity, brothers and sisters. Okay, Satan will say it is, but it is not. The Bible says that when we accept Christ, that all things are made new and we become a new creature. And we can choose whether or not we will indulge the temptation, but we do not get to choose what Satan uses to tempt us. Do you understand that? So I want you to stop beating yourself up because Satan tempts you with this or that. Okay? Stop that. Satan is saying that's who you are because you love it. It's not who you are. He's just flashing it before your eyes. Have your identity be in Christ Jesus. Okay, there are things that you can do, though, to put those temptations further away from you. Okay, so there I was. The temptation to blame God for the condition I was in was pressing home on my mind, and I refused it. But at this time, I start to tell my family. I said, my wife could see something strange on my face, and so she stops cooking, and she starts to walk slowly toward the table, and that's when I break the news to the whole family. And I tell them, Maria, my four-year-old, and I just ate a deadly poison that's supposed to kill us in an hour. My little four-year-old starts to cry. She, she climbs herself out of the high chair and gets onto my lap, and she says, Dada... I don't want to die. I said, I, I, I'm helpless. I, I cannot save you. I can't even save myself. I can't. We need something outside of ourselves. I, I have nothing. Brothers and sisters, Satan will press home that because you have nothing, you can't. Don't listen to him. Agree with him. It's true I have nothing. It's true I can do nothing of myself. But with Christ, all things are possible. Okay? Recognize what is true. Recognize what is true. If you do that, his deceptions become so clear. We begin to cry and... and you know, it was amazing because we lived in the country and we were about 40 minutes from the hospital. And so my mind was not going to the hospital. My, for some reason, it seems to this day that like a cloud was over my eyes. I couldn't see what to do. And maybe for some of us, we're that way. You know, we recognize we're sinners. We recognize we're doing this, but we don't know what to do. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to share with you 
throughout this week. Now, if you don't come to my breakout sessions, if you go to others, that's okay, because I think it's recorded. But I'm going to share with you some practical things you can do as a sinner to cooperate with God in your healing and your purification, okay? Now, I could not see what to do. And so we did something that I should have done immediately, but we knelt down as a family and we prayed. I had no eloquent words to speak. I didn't have any kind of structure in my mind of how I was going to pray. I was just pouring my heart to the Lord. Lord, we have done this and there's nothing I can do. I need your help. I need your help. If, you, if it's your will, please save us. But if not, then please, please, please take care of my wife and Sophia, my daughter, while I'm gone. And so then I was thinking, what can I say to my wife and daughter? How can I fulfill the duty of my parenthood to my child in an hour so that she'll remain faithful to the end? How can I... Tell my wife what I need to. How can I be that, that protection around the home in an hour so that she's ready to raise my child the rest of the way and that we'll see them in the kingdom? How can I do that? And so all the words that I could try to come up with to say, I came up with nothing except, Mama, I love you. Sophia, I love you. Be faithful to the Lord. And that was it. I couldn't come up with anything else. I didn't have a sermon to give them. I just told them I loved them and I wanted them to be faithful so that we could see each other again. We're getting up from prayer and before I could even get to a full stance, my seven-year-old, and by the way, we weren't really into natural remedies and things that much at that time, but my seven-year-old, who had never done this in her life, and never saw us do it, says, Dad, she calls me Dada. Dada, would you like some activated charcoal? And I was like, I was like, yes, what are you waiting for? And so, boom, they go. Unfortunately, we hadn't been using this. We had never taken it internally, never. In fact, the only reason she knew about activated charcoal was because about three years earlier, we had read her a mission story about a missionary who had gotten bit by a poisonous snake, and they put activated charcoal on it immediately, and it drew out the poison, and that person lived. So she was able to recall from the age of four, now into seven, three years before, and not just recall, but then apply that, that remedy, that remedy, in a different way to my situation. The Holy Spirit is there. Now, what's awesome about the Holy Spirit is I can say because of that, I have witnessed the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, the Bible tells us that we know Jesus lives because we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. That means when Jesus went back to the Father and no one has seen him again face to face, we know that he lives because we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that that means his sacrifice was accepted by the Father Amen. on our behalf? It, it was accepted. And so 
when you sense the Holy Spirit convicting you this week of the things that the speakers are going to say that touch on those things that we've been holding on to, and you're willing to call it Nahushtan, a piece of brass, you can know that Jesus' blood was accepted by the Father on your behalf. Okay? You can know that. Now, once, once we receive this remedy, okay, we didn't stop there. You know what my mind said? What else can I do? Okay, when the Lord gives you mercy, he's not giving it to you so you can stop there. He's, he is giving it to you to change your heart. To say, what else can I do to cooperate with him? What else can I do? So at that time, I said, okay, enough. If we're going to die, I'm at least going to die in a place where they know how to handle a dead body. I'm not going to die right here on the kitchen floor. We're going to go to the hospital. So I said, girls, you have two minutes to get in the car. Everyone raced around. We jumped in the car. My wife drove and uh, checked in time. I'm going to have to shorten the story a little bit. We get to the emergency room and the door was locked. The door was locked. So we start walking around the hospital. But I want to go back during the drive, because this is so, I'm going to have to leave some things out. But on the drive, it was dark. My daughter was in the back seat, my seven-year-old. And we had just been, as a family, around the table. We had been studying Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1. Can you believe that? With a four-year-old and a seven-year-old? And we didn't know what we were doing, but that's what we were doing. And there's a story in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, about Ellen White when she was relaying a personal experience. She was on a boat, and there was a storm. And it seemed like the ship was going to go down. And so a, a frantic lady runs up to her and says, aren't you afraid? And she said, I'll tell you this. If my work is done... There's no better place for me than on the bottom of this water. But if my work is not done, there's not enough water in the sea to drown me. Okay? So we had just read that about a week before, and we didn't know we were going to need, like, need that so soon. But there we were in the car, and my seven-year-old is just crying. And, sh and by the way, I forgot to tell you some details. My legs are shaking at this point, like bouncing. And my little one who's sitting on my lap, I, we didn't bother strapping her in. I was like, if she, this is her last night, I'm holding her. You know, her legs, and by the way, that's what the Lord feels about, even sinners who are rejecting him. If this is their last night, I'm going to hold them. I want to draw them close to me. The way the poison works is it shuts down your muscle function. And it's kind of like losing a cell phone reception. You know, you can hear a word and then you can't. So that starts down in the feet and moves upward. Now, as you lose that connection, it starts to make you convulse. Okay, it's like in and out. So your legs just start to shake, you know. And so mine were doing that. My daughters were doing that. And so my, my seven-year-old in the back through her tears says, Dada, do you think God will answer our prayer? And after a pause, she says, that's not what I mean. I know he'll answer our prayer, but do you think he'll say yes? And I was like, 
I thought for a minute, how am I going to answer my seven-year-old? Because I don't know if the Lord is going to save my life. Maybe my work is done. But I said to her, I turned back and I said, Sophia, I know this, that if, if my work is done, then this will probably be my last night. But if not, there's not enough. And as soon as I said that, she started to say it with me. It's one of the most precious moments I have. My daughter and I, the same words at the same time, said there's not enough poison hemlock in the world to kill me. Okay? It's so precious. We continue to drive, and I have a moment of peace to ask one of the most important questions that you can ask yourself. Remember, it said, break up the fallow ground of your heart, for it is time to seek the Lord. Don't wait until you have an hour left. Don't wait until you have an hour left. It's time now. It's 746. It's time now. I've got four minutes left. I need 20. But I'm going to take only four. Oh. Okay. I was there. And I asked the question, am I ready to see God face to face? And I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, I was not. And I knew it. I had, I had actually repented of most of the things, if not all, of the things that I knew I was doing wrong or had done wrong at that point. When that question was pressed upon me, in my mind, it wasn't the things that I had done that were so heavy on me. You know what it was? All the things that I didn't do that I never thought to ask for forgiveness for. I never even thought it because I didn't do it. You know, isn't that what the children say when the parents said, who did this? I didn't do it. But do you know there are things that we should be doing. There are things we should be doing. Uh, you can listen to this online. It's already online somewhere. But I saw the purity and holiness of God in my mind. Not like an actual vision, but just, you know, it became so clear about how, how different we were. And I knew that I, there was nothing in my life that I could point to that would give me the right to claim eternal life. Like, I couldn't point to anything I did. Not a thing. Not a single thing. As I looked into the rearview mirror of my life, I saw not a single thing good. Not a single thing. But as I thought about that and I prayed... And I re-repented of the things that I had repented of before, and then I repented for the things that I had not done. I imagined myself being placed in Jesus' arms, like a baby, you know, legs hanging over this way, head up this way, just placing my arms, not knowing what he was going to do with me, actually, at that time, but just knowing that he was going to treat me with tender mercy. That if I wasn't going to be in the kingdom, he was going to lay me down. But if I was, then I got to live with God forever. And you know, when I woke out of prayer, uh, a peace came on me. My legs were still shaking, but a peace came. 
Now, fast forward, you can, <laughs> you'll have to go online if you want to hear the rest of the story. Other than, I'll give you the very, very end. My, my daughter got transferred to a different hospital. They said when her lungs shut down, see, that's the way it works. Poison moves up, moves up, moves up, slowly over the course of an hour. Our sins do the same thing. It starts with just a feet. It's way down there, little things, toes, just toes. But it moves up till it gets to the breath of your life. And when, your lung, when it hits your lungs, they stop breathing and you die. Now, my, my daughter's face was turning blue. I was like, oh, I know what that means. Her respiratory system isn't doing so well. They transferred her to the children's hospital where they said when her respiratory system shuts down, they'll be more prepared to deal with it. Oh, brothers and sisters, I'm out of time. When I got to the hospital, I'll just tell you this. When I got to the hospital, they gave me what? Activated charcoal. Now, this is important. You don't need to go to an institution. You don't even necessarily need to go to a conference, although God uses those things just like he led that hospital. What you need is to go to the Lord yourself and ask for that remedy. You see? You need to ask for that remedy. But don't stop at the remedy. Get the whole cure. Get the whole cure. And we'll talk more about that this week. Oh, my four-year-old and I had the greatest reunion. Oh, there's so many precious lessons along the way, but we had the greatest reunion. God is so good, and he's able to overcome any poison of sin that you have taken. Any poison of sin you've taken. I wanted to build a fence with you today. We'll have to do that a little bit later today. I hope this was encouraging for you. Just to review, just to review, be willing to break down even the high places in your life. Estimate things in their true value. Call things a piece of brass if it's a piece of brass. And then be honest, even if it's the tempter coming to you, because he will always mingle truth with error. If you acknowledge the truth, the error will be so obvious. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and he will, will lead you. I hope this was encouraging. Break up the fallow ground. You're going to hear lots of good seed today from many people. You're going to hear the voice of God through his word today. Make sure there's a place for it. Make sure there's a place for it in your heart. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for preserving my life and putting me to work. And I know that each one of these people here desire a remedy from you. But Lord, we do not want to stop at your death. We want to look at your life. We want the cure. What foolishness it would have been had I gone back out in the field the next day and started picking hemlock. Lord, I pray that you'll teach us to discern between good and and evil, and to desire only the good. Lord, we thank you for doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is only by your strength, your might, your sufficiency, your merits, and your mercy 
that we can live. We thank you for spilling your blood on our behalf. I ask a blessing on each one here in the Sabbath that you have in store for us. I pray in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.